Father God, even now we just honor you and we bless you and we exalt you. We exalt you as our God, as our Lord, our Father and Abba. We invite you into this time. We desire to be drawn closer to you and we thank you for the invitation. Thank you for inviting us to come closer and to draw nearer. And you promise that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So thank you for meeting us here where we are and thank you for meeting us here to take us to a new place in you. And as long as it's you, we say yes. As long as it's you, we say yes. So Father, I just pray your blessing over each one that is connected to this call, to this prep. I thank you, Father God, that you have connected us by your spirit. And I thank you that you have had purpose in our connection. And I thank you, Father, even now that your word is in our hearts, that your will will be done. I thank you, Father, that your kingdom comes, your will is being done in us. I thank you, Father, that you are transforming us by the renewing of our minds. Thank you, Father God, that you are creating within us clean hearts and causing our spirits to stand erect, Father, so that we hear spirit to spirit, deep to deep, we know that you've been calling out and we thank you for the call and our response is yes. We are, we are as David said, when you said to our, us to seek your face, our hearts said, yeah, your face we will seek. And we thank you for the invitation. Be glorified in our midst this day, Father. I love you. We love you. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, just as a recap, um, what we've talked about so far is the issue of repentance, thinking differently. We've talked about presenting ourselves to God, um, just, just that time where we let him do whatever he desires to do in us. We've talked about the truth that the word encounter within itself includes the definition of confrontation. So as we present ourselves, there's something that God is going to confront in us that's not yet changed and give us the opportunity to surrender in that place and in that area and allow him to change what only he can change in his presence. And we always, we talked also about from that Romans 12 too, that it's a renovation. So God's not trying to change everything at the same time um, all at once, but it's step-by-step, step, piece by piece, which means that it's a yes by yes. You know, it's a yes. That's why I use the term a fresh yes, because my yesterday's yes, was for yesterday. Today, I'm giving him a fresh yes so that he can do what he desires to do today. And an encounter, God always has a point. He always has a particular thing that he is addressing or that he's changing. And so that fresh yes, um, when I just prayed and I said, God, as long as it's you, there are times where I'll just say that to him because I don't always know what he's going to change or what he's going to do, but because his track record is 100, it's just like, he's always on point, I can give him a yes, just because of who it is, before I even know what he's gonna do, just because of who he is and how much I can trust him, it's like a yes, God, you got it, yes. Um, and so we understood and talked through the point and the truth that it's a process that God takes us through, it's that renovation, and he gives us the choice as to whether or not we want to continue in him. Um, we talked about learning better how to offer God what he desires instead of just giving him what it is we wanna give him. And as I said before, in our immature state, 
that was cool just to give him what we wanted to give him. And he was happy with that. But as we have matured, um, then he says, okay, now I want you to deal more in your life with giving me what it is I desire from you. And the starting place was that time, whether it was the 15 seconds or the minute, however long we spent with him, where we consecrated and dedicated that time to him for him to be able to do what he wanted to do and us offer him what he wanted us to offer in, pri in private so that when we come together, that thing will show up, but it begins in private. And so um, I made the point a few times that God always has a preordained starting place. It's a principle that I use even when it comes to like when the house is a mess, you know, if I've been busy and not, you know, straightening up and things are cluttered, if I can just find God, give me what's the starting place. Cause you can look at things and get overwhelmed when it's a lot, but if you can identify that God ordained starting place, it's like, okay, start there. And as the, the, the Psalm says where he gives us a lamp unto our feet, like a, uh, sometimes it's just the next step. He won't tell us, okay, do this, that, 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 but he'll identify for us the starting place, start there. And as we start there, then he'll give us light for the next step and he'll give us revelation. Okay, then go to number two, but I can't skip over number one, which is where do I start to get to two? But sometimes it's only in stepping to one that he reveals what two is and what three is. That's a principle, not just for worship, but for life. It really is just where do I start? It could be all these bills, you know, and this is how much money I got. God, where do I start? So identifying God's starting place is uh, critical and the place that he identified for us to become more proficient in being able to sense the starting place was starting in his presence and starting in his presence with letting him run that moment, letting him control that moment and just laying our, our wheels down. Um, and so today, well, last week we also talked about worship in the sense of, um, the definitions that Bishop had given, which is obedience to God out of love for God, and then that expanded definition, which deals more with the choice um, of passionate intimacy, this love relationship with God, where we're choosing to offer to him what he desires. And then we dealt with the Old Testament, Shakah, that definition, and then the New Testament, Proskuneo, the definition, and the main difference being that the New Testament New Testament definition requires us to come close, to draw near. And the example they gave was like the dog licking the master's hand, which requires nearness and intimacy. So the main point in that was that under grace and under, um, you know, the, since Jesus Christ has lived and died and been resurrected and has now ascended, that he made it possible for us to now have this intimate relationship and he restored that ability um, to be in position to have that intimate relationship because Adam, we know, did what he did. Um, but Jesus Christ came and did what he did. And so here we are with the choice as to what will we do? But he made it possible for us to choose intimacy and to have more than a church relationship, but to have this intimate love relationship with God that impacts all of our lives, every area of life, not just one aspect of life. Uh, so today, just want to refer to 
the scriptures we left off with last week, which was uh, Luke 10, 38 through 42, and then um, John 27, verse four and verse seven, and then John four, which was scriptures that I just asked everybody to read through this past week. Um, we've been talking mainly, which is amazing to me, and you know, I've said it before, I just love the way of the spirit because you never know how he's gonna take you. But we've been talking these weeks mostly about personal worship, not necessarily our corporate worship, not necessarily us as a worship team, but it's been more focused on our personal relationships with God. And that, of course, impacts the entire team. But today we do want to spend a little time just talking about our corporate gathering, um, us as worship leaders called by God to lead worship and anointed to do so. So Luke 10, um, we won't reread it, but that that last those last two verses, verses 41 and 42, I would like for somebody to read that. And we remember from last week, that was the encounter where Jesus was visit, visiting Mary and Martha and Martha was doing her thing and Jesus told her she was cumbered about with a lot of stuff and anxious about a lot, worried about a lot trying to please him, um, but he identified a simpler way, a better way, um, the way that he desires, and that's what Mary was doing. And so, could somebody just read verse 41 and 42? Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. Okay, thank you. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose it. And so, you know, it's not like he was um, upset or mad at Martha, but just identifying for her, her condition. And he cares about our condition even more than he cares about our action. He cares about our internal state. How are we doing? And he recognized with her, she was just balled up on the inside. And so he made it clear to her that there's one thing that's needful. There's a difference between what's helpful versus what's needful. Many things are helpful, but I always try to identify what's needful. Okay, what's needful? Um, and thank God for that which is helpful. But he said, there's one thing that's needful and Mary chose it. Again, it was a choice. Worship is a choice. It's a choice that will always require um, us surrendering our will. It will always require adding faith to choosing God's way and it will always require sacrifice, the denial of self. And so in that, in that verse where he says, Mary chose it and it's not gonna be taken away from her. Nobody can, they might be able to take a lot of things, but what they can't take away is your choice to have God as number one in your life, your choice to pursue intimate relationship. Um, he says, that's the one thing that's needful and Mary chose it. And so when we went over to uh, Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, if somebody would go to Psalm 27, verse 4, and read that. And this from this one thing, he said, one thing is needful. One thing, just one. Verse 4 of Psalm 27. Yeah, that says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple. 
Yeah. That's it. The one thing. He says one thing, and then he names three things to dwell, to behold, and to inquire. All of that is one thing. And mm -hmm. so it's it's uh it's like that that scripture in uh 2 Corinthians 3:18 that says when we with an open face we look into a, a mirror as is looking into a glass, that we're being changed into the same image from glory to glory. It it's what happens in God's presence and I think I said it the first week that in God's presence, he can change in a second what we have spent years trying to change outside of his presence, like trying to fix myself up to offer myself to God. That's a goose chase as opposed to as I am presenting myself to God and allowing him to change what needs to be changed or to identify to me, he can identify for me what it is that I need to do. Cause it's not like there's nothing that I have to do, but it starts with, let me present myself and let me get revelation from him of where to start and what he desires to do in me and through me. And so I, you know, I always make the statement, whoever you are right now, whoever you have become as of today to present that to God. And when you present who you know yourself to be to God, when you present it to God, he gives greater revelation of who we're purposed to be and who we're meant to be. And then he does what only he can do. And then he gives us the wisdom to know, okay, what is it that we are to do? What is his responsibility versus what is mine? What's his responsibility versus what is mine? And this is a side point, but it's something Bishop said to me years and years ago that has stayed with me. He said, when you go through seasons in your life, Lisa, there will be times when God is seeking to convince you of who you are. And then there are other times when God is seeking to show others who he has made you to be. And you've got to be clear about those seasons because when you're in a season and God is simply trying to, trying to convince you of who he's made you to be, and it's not a one-shot deal. What happens dimension after dimension after dimension, he'll, he'll go through this period where he's seeking to help you to understand an aspect of yourself. And as he's doing that, it will be most times a season where other people are not acknowledging you like you think you should be acknowledged. Um, they're not treating you like you think you should be treated. And God seems to just let them get away with it. But it's that in that season, he's seeking to convince you of something because whoever convinces you and whoever gives you your sense of value, whoever gives you your sense of worth, that's the one that controls you. And so there are times when God will withhold other people affirming it because he wants you to come to him to get it. Because whoever gives you, and I'll repeat it again, whoever gives you your sense of value, whoever gives you your sense of worth, that's who controls you. And so when we're looking for people to affirm us, many times, instead of focusing on what they're not giving us, press into God. And the first time I did it and asked him, okay, why are people treating me like this? And why are you letting people just ignore me? And I'm being forgotten. And, you know, they paid everybody and forgot to pay me. And the mailman forgot to deliver my mail. And I mean, it was a day where I was forgotten and like all day long. And finally I asked God, why? And that's when he allowed me 
to get the revelation that he knew something in me was needy. I was wanting affirmation from people. I was wanting people to make me feel important because I was broken in my identity. I was broken in my soul. And I was looking for something from man that God wanted to provide simply because God wanted to be the one to give me my sense of value and my sense of worth. And when God does that, you never have to leave home needy, needy, N-E-E-D-Y, ever. And he said to me, Lisa, once after this, after this encounter, you will never have to leave home needy again. And what he meant by that was leaving the house and you need people to give you something. You know, it's like, have you ever um, not eaten and gone to somebody's house and they're cooking and they didn't invite you for dinner, but you want their food because you're hungry? You know, as opposed to when you're full and you go into their house. There's a big difference in terms of your response, your focus. So he doesn't want us to leave home hungry for what people can give. And I'm just using that natural example to make the spiritual point. When God gives you your sense of value and your sense of worth, man, there's nothing like it. And you don't go out looking for what people can give you. You look for giving people what God has given you. And I know I made that point the second week and I just sense God is saying to reemphasize that, that there is something to be said. You know, society can cause women to feel like they're not pretty enough or men to feel like, um, you know, you don't have it going on enough or you're not um, providing enough. Or, but when God gives you your sense of worth and your sense of value, it changes your perspective, even as it relates to how people are dealing with you. Instead of recognizing that they're dealing wrong with you, you'll be able to see what's wrong inside of them, what's causing them to respond like they're responding. You'll be able to see their brokenness because you've been made whole. And you'll be able to minister out as opposed to expecting them to affirm something in you. And so that's one of the major points that God desires happens and occurs in his presence, it's that he's able to make us whole, able to make us whole, able to give us um, time after time and piece by piece, that sense of affirmation and value and worth so that we're not needing um, anything from man in the sense of our worth and our value but that we're whole, made whole. One of the things God does in worship, he awakens your spirit, but God also cares about our soul and he doesn't want us broken and damaged and hurting and living today with yesterday's hurts. And he cares about our soul. And so what he'll do is awaken your spirit and then restore your soul. So that's a part of why David said in Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Like he wants our emotions and our mind and our uh, just the way we are internally, he cares about that. He cares about our happiness. He cares about us being made whole. When you are whole, you don't want to break other people. When you're broken, broken people break people. Um, whole people are able to be vehicles of deliverance and vehicles of healing to add to the wholeness of other people's lives. And so in his presence, God makes us whole. So Psalm 
verse four, somebody read it, Psalm 27, verse four. It says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Thank you for reading that again, Pastor. One thing, and then he says to dwell, to behold, and to inquire. I pray that God gives revelation to each one of us as to what he means for each one of us personally to dwell, that's that one thing, one thing is needful. And that's what I'm gonna seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold his beauty, recognizing that's that second Corinthians 3.18, that I become what I see, that if I behold his beauty uh, from glory to glory, he's changing me into the same image, what I'm beholding of him. And, and it's, it's what I said the week when I was talking about, he spoke the word faithful to me. And I was focused on his faithfulness, not understanding at the moment that as I was focused on his faithfulness, he was doing something in me to make me more faithful, to make me a more faithful person. And so when we dwell and then behold his beauty, whatever aspect of himself he, he reveals to you, he shows you, it's what he's also producing in you from glory to glory. We're being changed into the same image from glory to glory and then to inquire. So there is a time to just inquire, to ask. You know, David used to ask him, okay, do they want to fight? Do I go fight or do I not? Do I, you know, it's like his guidance and that's wisdom. That's the wisdom of God. And he'll reveal it to us as we seek him. Um, verse eight, somebody read verse eight for me in the same chapter, Psalm 27, verse eight. I'll read it since somebody's thou, oh, somebody else was going to read. Go for it. When thou says, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. When you say, seek my face, which is what he's been saying to us, and he says it every day, seek my face. David's response was, my heart said, yeah, I gave you a fresh yes. I will seek your face. And remember, where religion tries to put the focus on the external and on our actions, God looks at the heart and God is looking at what is the posture of our heart. And even when my actions haven't lined up yet, but in my heart, I've given him a yes. God is looking at that yes. And he knows how to guide me, you know, process um, and renovation and all of those terms we've used. He knows how to guide us into the place where our, our actions are reflecting what's in our heart. But there are seasons where our actions are not yet reflecting our heart. Mm -hmm. And religion would say, you're, you can't be a Christian because of your action. Well, God is saying, I'm looking at what's in your heart. Yeah. And there are times it's, you know, it takes that process be before our actions actually line up with what is truly in our heart. But when God says, seek me, some people can respond by saying, I'm not worthy which is a slap in the face to God because Jesus Christ has made us worthy to be able to seek him. He said, come boldly before my throne, come boldly, you know? Um, and so as the truth that that's our heavenly father and he's all about this relationship, there's never a time where he does not want us to come into his presence to seek him. Mm -hmm. And there will be a time when we're no longer in and out of his presence. When I'm saying that, 
again, God, he's everywhere. His manifest presence and consecrating time to interact with him, that is something different. And when God is saying that in his presence, you know, he'll change us in his presence. We're being changed to the same image in his presence. Hills melt like wax in his presence. He's talking about this intentional, my heart has said yes. And I have opened myself to you, Father God, for whatever you want to do in this moment. Those intimate moments show up in our lives, show up in every area of our lives so that you find yourself in different situations, doing the will of God, not by virtue of praying in that very moment, but by virtue of those moments where you have given him your heart, you've given him your yes, and it's showing up in these other areas of life. And so even when the scripture says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, he's not saying just always, you know, there's gotta be uh, a different definition of prayer than what we think. If he says pray without without ceasing, he's not saying to every day, like don't go out the house, don't go to work, just stay home and pray. But he's saying, stay connected to me all day long. Stay connected all day long and let your heart be in a posture of yes, giving me that fresh yes per situation, but stay connected. And so David said, I know you're inviting me to this life of seeking your face and, you know, uh, doing your will in these situations. And so my heart is responding by saying yes, knowing that my actions are not always going to be on point. But thank you, Father God, that you look at the heart. And so that's why uh, the assignment last week was Psalm 51, verse 10, to create within me a clean heart, God and renew a right spirit in me, create within me a clean heart, cause me, cause my heart to want to do your will. You know, the scripture says it's God that works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. And so when, when we were praying that God create within me a clean heart, we're saying, God, purify my motives, purify my desires, and, 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 it's like God created a clean heart within me and renew a right spirit within me, cause my spirit to be so healthy and so on point that my spirit is standing up on the inside of me. And I'm living life being guided by the spirit, not being guided by my soul or by my will, but my spirit is healthy. And so that was um, last week's assignment. And it was in addition to praying your kingdom come and your will be done, in addition to praying, transform me by the renewing of my mind, what we added was and create within me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. And so what it challenges us to do per situation is seek God's face, seek to know what his desire is in a particular situation. Seek to know before I just do what I feel like doing or say what I feel like saying, my worship will be to offer you what it is you desire in this situation, which requires sensitivity to the spirit of God, which requires me having a healthy spirit so that I'm able to hear and, and sense the leading of God, hear what he's saying, sense what, you know, how he's leading me to move um, I need a healthy spirit for that. 
And so it's gotta be important in my day to make sure I'm building my spirit, to make sure I'm feeding that which is God's presence inside of me. With your body, the external, you're aware of what's going on around you. With your soul, you're aware of your Adamic nature, the, the thing that in our fallen state, so to speak, what you want, what you think and what you feel, but with your spirit, you are aware of what God wants, what he thinks and how he feels. That's in our spirit being. And so because we have been in this earth and been so impacted by the world around us, what will happen is, you know, if I asked you right now, what do you want? What do you think? What do you feel? Most of us could answer, like, what am I thinking right now? What do I want right now? What am I feeling? But if I asked you, okay, in this moment, what does God want? What is he thinking? How is he feeling? Our spirits know that. Our spirits know that. But it goes to show how much we're in touch with our soul and how much we need to learn to be in touch with who we really are, which is spirit. God created us as spirits and put us in these human bodies and then gave us souls to possess. But we're more in touch until, you know, we grow in Christ um, and continue to grow. Then it flips and you're more in touch with spirit, small as spirit, who you really are. And you're able to sense in this moment, okay, this is what God is thinking. This is how God is feeling. This is what God desires. I remember him telling me before when I was a big living soul and he said, Lisa, a lot of the stuff that you laugh at, I'm crying over. And a lot of stuff that you're crying about, I'm laughing at. And I was like, whoa, God help me to be able to express your emotions and what's on your mind. And when you're laughing, I wanna laugh, you know? And he, you know, he's like, I never worry. I never am like perplexed but you are perplexed and worried a lot. And it's like, okay, God help me to be in touch more with what's in my spirit because in my spirit, I know what you think. I know what you're feeling. I know what you're desiring. That's in my spirit. So that's when I went on this quest and I'm still on it today and plan to be on it until I go home to be with the Lord on this quest to build my spirit because I want my spirit strong because I need to be able to sense what God is saying and to hear his voice per situations, not just when I'm leading worship at church. I need to know in, in situations how, you know, how God is desiring um, that I walk out life. And so one day we won't be in and out anymore of his presence. And it's uh, the church in, in uh, Philadelphia, the church at Philadelphia in Revelations 3, where he says to them, you will go no more out. And one of the points he's making is, you know, I understand that in this life and as long as you're in these human bodies, you're gonna be going in and out, but there will come a time when you're in and no more out, meaning there won't be these disconnections. It won't be like, yeah, I'm okay, but then the next minute I'm disconnected. Yeah, I'm a, even though we're always saved, we you know, can break connections as it relates to um, doing God's will versus doing what, what we wanna do. And so just that point that you know, uh, God is patient with us, 
he understands that in these human bodies that, you know, there's a, a battle is what Paul said in Romans 7, even when I would do good, evil is always present, you know. Um, so there's this constant battle, but God commends us in that we've not given in to the negative. We've not given in to, you know, the enemy's desire for our lives. We have said yes to God, even though our actions are sometimes yay and nay, our hearts have said yes. So he said to us, seek my face. And we've said yes. And he's going to ask us again tomorrow, seek my face. And our heart will respond. And it's day by day, level by level. And even when we get to a new dimension, he's still saying, seek my face. And know that there will never be a time where we are seeking his face and he's run out of stuff to show us. Never, <laughs> never be a time when we're in his presence dwelling and beholding and inquiring, but he's run out of stuff to say, never be a time. It's, I mean, never, just never, ever, ever. Uh, there will never be a time when he's like, okay, you've seen everything there is to see about me as your God. I have nothing else to show you. Nor will there ever be a time where he says, okay, you know everything there is to know about you. I have nothing else to show you. There will always be more. There's always um, more reason to, to seek him. And he gives us greater revelation of who he is, greater revelation of who we are in him. So seeking is always worth it. And as I said last week, uh, Hebrews eleven six, he says, I'm going to reward you just for seeking. I'm rewarding you just for seeking. So we want to continue to seek him with this understanding so that we are not um, prideful in seeking. The only reason we can seek him is because he's been seeking us first. First, he seeks us. And so that's John. Let's go over to John 4. John 4. A couple of the verses, and I'm not trying to go deep into uh, the teaching. I don't sense God is saying go deep into teaching as much as um, in that Luke 10 scripture that we read and in this scripture in John 4, that both will be something that God gives revelation out of um, to each one of us. You may talk about it again as a group, but just particular things that he wanted us to understand out of this verse, out of this chapter, chapter four, um, woman at the well. And one of the main things that is, it just melts my heart then it's easy to skip over, but it's in verse seven where Jesus says to her, give me to drink, give me to drink. What is so touching about that is this is Jesus and he's saying to a woman who is broken, she's not living right, she's not dealing right, she got a lot of game happening, she, you know, she's a gamer, she's got a lot of con. Um, and he says to her, give me to drink. And he says that to me every day. He says that to us every day, that there's something that you have that I desire, that there's something that I'm thirsty for that you can supply. That just blesses my heart because, you know, today, yeah, I'm a worshiper today and I'm seeking to be, um, to go deeper and, and seeking to be more pleasing in his sight. But even when I wasn't, when I was broken, he was saying to me, give me the drink. And what he was saying is there's value that I see in you. There's purpose that I have for you. And so when he says that to all of us, he's literally saying, give me to drink. There's something that is in you that I see as value, as valuable, that I desire, that I um, 
and, and reaching out for. And so verse seven, he says, give me the drink. And then if you look at verse 10, he says to her, if you knew the gift of God, if you were aware of what's being offered to you, then you, know, you, would, you would ask me and I would give you uh, this living water. And so it's this exchange where he's literally saying, I see value in you. So there's something that I'm desiring of you. It's your choice to say yay or nay. And regardless of what you think about yourself, don't discount yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't count yourself out. I want you and there's value in you and I desire you. And then he says, if you knew who I was, if you just knew who it is that's offering this opportunity to you, you would ask me and I would give you that which is eternal, that which is um, supernatural, that which the earth can't even provide it. You wouldn't even be looking to people and asking for this. It's like God said, I would make you whole. I would give you something that man can't take away, something that life can't take away from you. It's in me. And so he's saying, look to me. I'm going to give you that thing that makes life worth living. I'll be that presence in your life. And it makes life worth living. It makes uh, life exciting is the difference between surviving versus overcoming. It's like, okay, yeah, 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 God. There's this excitement that God provides for us when we're looking to him for this living, quote unquote, living water. And look also at verse um, 14. And he says, whoever drinks of this water that I'm giving you, you'll never thirst again. That's the point I was making early, earlier about being needy, needy. You won't be needy. You'll never thirst again. You won't be needy. You won't need people to affirm you. You won't need people. And it's nice when they do and they should. But again, when God is convincing you of your value and your worth, he'll let people forget about you. He'll let people not treat you right. And instead of being mad at the people, God would want us to be wise enough to know he's drawing us to him so that he can give us that sense of worth and that sense of value. And then seasons change and God will cause people to see what he's done in you. God will cause people to see how much power is in you, how much word is in you, how much skill is in you. It could be on a uh, secular job and God will cause people to see your value and your worth. But it's after first, he's wanting you to see your value and your worth and you to get the affirmation that you need in order to be whole. He wants us to get it from him. He wants you to get it from him. He wants me to get it from him. And he says, you'll never thirst again. You'll never leave home where you're needing people to make you feel special and to make you feel important because you've been accepted and the beloved and you have been made to know that you're important by love himself. You've been loved by love himself. You've been affirmed by love himself. You've been made to know that you are unique and you are precious and you're the apple of his eye. Man, when he just affirms all that in you, you leave how the house with your heart humble, yes, but with your head held high because you know that love himself sees you as extremely precious and valuable and worthy of dying for, worthy, you know, of, of um, the, this life that you're living. God has made us 
worthy in his sight to be loved by love himself. And when you know that, you really go out of the door of your house as a conqueror, as an overcomer, as someone whose heart is still pure because you know you didn't deserve it, but by grace, you have received it. And so you go out of the house knowing that God's got me, he loves me, I'm not trying to please man, I'm here to please God. And he's already pleased with me. So it's that point with um, when Jesus was baptized and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was getting ready to go to the wilderness and God knew that Jesus needed the affirmation from his father. He needed to know that his father was pleased with him before he went through this trial, before he went through that testing, he needed to know it. And Jesus had not done anything. He had not worked a miracle yet. He had just gotten baptized and the spirit fell like a dove upon him and remained, but he hadn't done any miracles. And God says, I'm well pleased. So he was saying, it's not about what you do. It's who you are that I'm pleased with. I'm pleased with who you are. And we need that affirmation. And so in that verse in John um, 4, he's saying that we'll never thirst again. We won't be needy. Um, and again, of course, John 23 and John 24, the father seeks worshipers. The father seeks worshipers. And I always say, whatever he's seeking, I want to be offering. Whatever he's seeking, I want to be it. He's seeking worshipers. He's not seeking worship, because if he gets the worshiper, he'll get your worship. He's seeking worshipers. Worshipers is the person, it's the being. You know, what comes from us is worship. He's worshiped from the sun in the sky doing what it's purpose to do. He's worshiped from birds. You know, they do what they're supposed to do. But we are the one creation that he's given choice to. And so when you choose to worship and worship again, true worship is a choice. When you choose to worship, that just blesses God's heart. When we choose to lay down our will and do his will in particular situations, when we choose to seek him, uh, it blesses his heart and pleases him in ways that I can't even explain because he's seeking worshipers. He gets worship. And if he gets the worshiper, as I said, he'll get your worship, but he's seeking worshipers. Just like the enemy, um, I gave you the scripture the first week in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the enemy is seeking who he can devour, who he can destroy. He's looking for, you know, the enemy's looking for something, but God is looking for worshipers. He's seeking worshipers. And so for God, where he says, you know, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth, that spirit with the small s, my soul, I, I don't worship him out of my soul. And so that's why feelings, like if I feel like it, if my body's tired, I put, I command my soul to bless the Lord. It's like, so I don't care what you're feeling like, body, I don't care what you're feeling like, my direction's not coming from you, but spirit, rise up, stand erect, stand strong, and you make the choice, and you're telling my soul what to do, and my body is going to express whatever I choose, and so if I choose to go with my soul, and like, I don't feel like it, my body will show that, or religion would say, well, just fake it, but God's like, uh-uh, you never have to fake with me. Worship, true worship is spirit and it's truth. It's truth, truth, truth. It's so critical. My, my, one of the main ways I experienced it was 
praying and asking God to take something away from me. And I kept saying, I don't want it. I don't want it. And God, I just kept hearing him say, be honest, be honest. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this. So take it away from me. And he said, be honest. And what I finally got to was, oh, okay. I really do want to do it. I just don't want to want to do it. That's the truth. But the truth is I want to do it. And so God change my desire, meet me where I am. Cause the truth is here I am telling you, I don't want to do it, but I did want to do it. And God said, worship the spirit and truth. Be honest with me. I can handle the truth. Like truth, we, 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 we can't get breakthrough until we get the truth. And so God's like, you're feeling bad about having to acknowledge that you want to do something wrong. God said, I already knew that before you even knew it. I knew you wanted to do something wrong. I knew it. He's like, so don't come to me acting like you want to do the right thing in this situation. Be honest and let me know. The truth is you want to do the wrong thing. So that's truth. Worship is spirit and it's truth. And God said, I'll meet you right at the point of truth. I'll meet you there. But sometimes it takes a while for us to get to truth. And God is saying, okay, I got to let things happen. I got to, you know, until you're ready to be honest about this thing. So let's get honest. And what I realized when I was feeling horrible about the truth, God was smiling. He was like, you finally got honest. Yeah, now we can work with this. All right, now we can, yeah, now we can work with it. And what he began to do over weeks and months was change my desire. That I, it finally, after months, because I had, been honest with him in his presence and given him permission and invited him into that place, he started changing my desire so that after months, I really didn't want to do it. And for me to say, I don't want to do it was the truth at that point, but he had to meet me at the point of truth and then walk me into where my action lined up with what was in my heart. But at first I wasn't even being honest about what was in my heart. I was telling him something was in my heart and it wasn't the truth. So once, you know, there's freedom um, <laughs> in truth. So worship is spirit and truth. And so just out of John 4, those are the verses that I felt like God was saying to emphasize along with verse 34, where he says, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, my meat is to do the will of the father that sent me and to finish his work, my meat. And he was saying, that's what satisfies me. That's what um, fulfills me is doing the will of God. And, and so in small ways, when we do the will of God in small areas, there's something that is satisfying about it that increases our appetite to do more of God's will and to do more because when you do God's will, you end up fulfilled. And Jesus said, that's the thing that's fulfilling me. It's not the natural food. And he wasn't saying, you know, don't feed the body because the body needs that natural food. But so does the spirit need spiritual food. The spirit needs to be fed. And just like our natural bodies, if we go for a long time without eating and we get weak and all that, same exact thing happens with our spirit. If we don't feed our spirit, our spirits get weak and debilitated and um, just like, just shrinks up. It just shrinks, it just shrinks. And so when I'm saying build your spirit, feed your spirit, it's gotta be intentional. It has to be intentional because the world around us does not, um, promote the nurturing and the health of our spirit. And as much as we are 
connected together or quote unquote in church encounters or church services. Um, there's so much of life that happens where we're not there. So we need to be intentional daily building and feeding our spirits and recognizing that just like if I go days without eating food, my body is gonna be malnourished. If I go days without feeding my spirit, my spirit will be malnourished. And it's not that God won't be speaking, it's that my spirit is not in condition to hear. And so you, the health of our spirit is so, 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 so critical. Um, we've talked mostly about our personal relationships and I just wanna transition into the corporate gathering and when we come together, sensitivity, everything that we develop in that personal relationship matters and impacts when we come together. It's all impacted. Um, and you know everything is impacted by my personal relationship. I can't be any deeper in terms of my relationship with Christ in public than I am in private. So my private relationship flows out publicly. It flows out publicly where religion says do the opposite, try to get it in church and you know, and then it'll impact you at home. And we have lived those years trying that. But what I have found through experience is that that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship, it impacts, like I said, every area of my life, including the corporate coming together, including leading worship. Um, and so when we come together, we should be desiring what God desires. His desire should be our desire. Pleasing him should be what we desire. And when God is pleased, my goodness, he just pours out um, and he does what only he can do. Imagine God being so pleased that um, like with Solomon and, and like with the priest, they couldn't minister because God's glory had filled the place. And so imagine being together and God is so well pleased because we're offering him what he desires. And he's so well pleased that his glory just fills our midst and it, it fills the temple and we can't sing and the preacher can't preach and the ushers can't usher in you know, because the presence of God is so rich and so thick and the cloud is there and the glory of God is so heavy that he's doing what only he can do. He's healing and he's delivering and he's saving and he's not, it's like the, um, the anointing is one thing, the anointing flows through us, the anointing is Christ in us and it's the DNA of God in us and God will flow through the gifts and, 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 and anoint us as we are functioning in the gift. But the glory goes beyond all of that. The glory is God saying, okay, this ain't me and you doing this thing. You chill. God said, I got this. So you don't have to sing. You don't have to preach. Man don't have to do anything. Man does not need to do anything in this moment. God says, I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to heal and I'm going to deliver and I'll touch parts of individuals where human hands can't even reach. I'll go into that deep place and I'll begin to, to change them from the inside out and I'll deal with the root of their actions and I'll deal with um, why they do what they do. God's like, I'll change that in my presence. And so for worship leaders, as we, you know, as, as we come together and as a worship leader, I recognize my personal relationship with God matters. And, and as a worship leader, to lead means I'm going first. It means I'm going ahead. It means I'm not pointing the way. 
I'm walking it out. I'm walking it out. And uh, you've heard this, the phrase people said all the time, you can't lead people to a place where you've not been or on a road that you're not even familiar with. And so I recognize that as a worship leader, the word lead means to go first. It means to go before. Um, and we understand what worship means. We have talked about that. So if nobody else in the congregation is seeking to be sensitive to God, and seeking to give God what he desires. I am. And as a leader, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that personally I am, but I'm saying speaking as a worship leader, I should be the one if nobody else is desiring to give God what he wants. If nobody else cares about what God wants, I should care. If nobody else is seeking to give him what he wants, I should give him what he wants. And what if, it, what if what he wants is just be quiet in this moment? What if what he wants is something different than I want to give, then it's that choice. Do I give God what he desires? Is it his will or is it my will? What if what he desires means they're not going to hear my voice while I'm singing? Then do I just go ahead? I got to sing loud because I want them to hear me or do I offer God what it is he desires? Our goal should be to please God and to give him what he desires. And when we do, his response is out of this world, literally out of this world. It's a supernatural response. And our first ministry, even as we gather to lead people in worship, our first ministry, our main ministry is unto God. It's not unto the people, it's unto God. If I minister to God, he'll minister to the people whether he ministers through me or just the glory of God fills the place. But if I minister unto God, God makes sure his people are ministered to, whether it's how he leads us to minister to them um, and he flows through us or whether it's simply by his spirit directly, then he will do what only God can do because only God knows what needs to be done. So our first ministry is unto him, even in corporate worship. Our first ministry is unto God. We're here for his pleasure. We're here to please him. We're here to offer him what he desires, which requires that sensitivity to his spirit, which requires I have got to feed my spirit and build my spirit and care about the health of my spirit. There's a scripture, um, a scripture in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts 4, 13. And it's just, um, it's, it's making the point, we're not going to read it, I'm just going to refer to it, but it's making this point about Peter and John and, you know, the religious leaders were bothered with them um, as they were many times, but it says that when Peter started speaking, that people marveled, they were amazed at their boldness, at the boldness of Peter, at the boldness of John, and it actually says that People were, they marveled because they knew that Peter and John were ignorant and unlearned. It calls them unlearned, which means uneducated. They didn't, they weren't like the, um, you know, graduated with their master's degree. Um, and when it says that they were ignorant, they were sort of brash, like um, would say, you know, you know, Peter, he cuts you out. But it says when, um, <clears throat> These people marveled when they heard them speaking and they saw the boldness that came from them. And it says that the people marveled and knew 
that they have been with Jesus. People know when you've been with Jesus and when you haven't. There's a witness, there's a fragrance, there's something supernatural that comes when you've been with Jesus versus what's man-made and what we can come up with when we haven't been with Jesus. There's a difference and it has an aroma, it has a smell. And I'm talking about whatever you do, whether it's sing, whether it's preach, whether it is work on the sound, whether it is on that board, there's a, a witness and an amen that comes from God when you've been with him and people know whether they like it or not. You know, some people, again, God just uses us to present choice to people. He doesn't say to you, you know, you better get people saved. You better do this. You better do that. He says, just be the example and allow me to use you since you've made your choice. Allow me to use you and present you to other people to bring them to a place of choice. So it's not our responsibility to make people worship. It's not our responsibility to, you know, make people get saved. Nobody made you get saved. God came to you. He gave you choice and God uses us to present choice to other people. Our, the best way to lead worship is by worshiping. The best way to, um, to lead in worship is to be the example of it. Be the example. It's not trying to force people or make people just be it. Be the example of somebody who loves God enough to obey him. It's that simple. Be the example. Whether you're working the sound, whether you're whatever it is, be the example. And so you lead in worship by first going in, by being the first, by making sure you go ahead of even the congregation, go ahead of those that you're leading. You go ahead of them and you're the example of somebody who loves God enough to obey him. You're the example of it. And so what about because we're a team and there's a leader? Well, there's this thing called, um, it's in hunting. I am not a hunter. I have never hunted and do not have any desire to do so ever. But in hunting, there's this thing that's called honor the point, honor, H-O-N-O-R, H-O-N-O-R, honor the point. And what it is, is that they take the hunting dogs and the, the dogs are, you know, running around the field and um, looking for the prey. And they are, at one point, like dogs, remember they have that sensitivity and hearing. And again, it's amazing that the example of worship is a dog, a dog licking the master's hand. But in honoring the point, it's that there's this pack of dogs and they are hunting dogs and they are assigned to find, you know, the prey. And so as they're running, the humans don't hear anything. And all of the dogs, they have different levels of hearing they're running and all of a sudden one dog, as they're all running, one dog will stop and point. Not with his hand, he's pointing. He's standing in a particular direction, in a particular um, space, and he's looking at a particular thing. And whether all of the other dogs heard it or not, they honor the dog that says, there it is. That's the way. And they all position themselves and come into agreement. Now only one heard it. Now you take that in church as leader, leaders, and you take one, it could be the pastor saying, this is what God is saying. And I, man, I got a sidetrack. I learned that lesson in a very deep way. 
because I'm married to Bishop, who's the setting authority of our house. We weren't married when I was first um, called as the worship leader. And I was trying to get used to hearing from God and being guided by the spirit and getting you know, the sense of this is what God is saying in the midst of worship. And for the first months, it would not fail when I knew, okay, God is saying, it's time to praise, it's time to praise. Bishop would walk over and say, I hear God saying, we need to just call people to repentance. And I'm like, well, I thought I heard, you know, so inside my mind is like, okay. And it could be the next week. And, you know, I'm like, you know, I had spent time in the presence of God and I'm like, okay. And I wasn't confident, you know, um, at all confident in who I was in God. I was really just trying to learn this new way of worship and not just coming up with songs that I wanted. Um, but God, what are you desiring? And so I'm in that, okay, God, what are you desiring? And I could hear, you know, like, just get a sense in my spirit, we need to go into a place of deep worship. And I get ready to go there and Bishop will come over to the keyboard and say, Lisa, I hear God saying, come on, high praise, we need to praise, we need to praise. And I, so I went through all of these changes only to realize, like God knows how to get us to seek him. I went through, okay, I can't hear from God. I'm trying, but I can't hear from God. I went into self-condemnation. I went into accusing Bishop that he don't hear from me. He's wrong. He can't hear from God. He, yeah. What God was trying to teach me was how to honor the point. He was trying to teach me how to just get an agreement. And it wasn't that I was not hearing from God. I was hearing him. But God says to us, okay, when I speak a certain thing to you, one, keep listening. It's like Abraham, and that's the first mention of worship in Genesis 22, where God said, take your son, your only son, and take the knife and offer him as a sacrifice. If Abraham had not keep, kept listening, he would have killed Isaac. He had to keep listening. He did obey what God was saying. He took his son, he offered him, but then God comes and says, wait, hold up, stay. Stay the knife, hold the knife, don't do it. But he had to keep listening. And so one, God was trying to teach me how to keep listening. Yes, he did say in one moment, oh, come on, high praise, you know, or he did say in one moment, come on, repent. So the moment when he said to me, call people into deep worship, he did say that. And when I was getting ready to move on it, God said, okay, we're trying to teach you how to worship, right? Remember? So, okay, I heard that from God. So when Bishop came and said, Come on, high praise, high praise. God's like, now's your choice to worship or not. Because you only know if you're submitted when you don't agree with something. You only know when, when I think I'm submitted, but you're doing everything I want you to do. I think I'm submitted. It hasn't been tested yet. It's only tested at the point where I'm not really agreeing. Then whether I'm submitted to the pastor's authority, then, that's the choice right there. So as long as I'm saying, yeah, let's praise. And Bishop is saying, come on, God is saying praise. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm submitted. It's just that he's agreeing with what's in my spirit. And that's the way I think we should go. And God was like, I don't need your opinion about things. What I need is your yes. What I need is when, when these moments of choice come, I need your submission. I need you to say yes to my will. So he was teaching me, it wasn't that I wasn't hearing from God, it's that I had matured to the place where now God was teaching me how to surrender my will in the moment. He was teaching me how to 
fight against self-condemnation because I was condemning myself. Like I don't hear from God, but, and God was teaching me the blessing of submission. God was teaching me how to honor the point. He was teaching me Psalm 133, that when there's unity there, I command a blessing. There's a commanded blessing at the point of unity. And so when Bishop came and said something different than I felt God was saying, that was the choice. What do I do in that moment? Do I hold on to what I want to do, my will, or do I honor the principle of submission to authority? Do I honor the principle of if that's what my head is saying, then even if he's wrong, now religion has a problem with this, but even if he was wrong, when I come into agreement with him, there's a commanded blessing. Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. The last verse says there, the Lord commands a blessing. There is the commanded blessing. It's not a blessing I gotta pray for. It's not a blessing that I gotta hope for or wish for or beg for. God says, just when you come into agreement in, uni in unity, God says, I command a blessing. Unity brings forth the commanded blessing. Unity brings forth the commanded blessing. And unity has the same root word as unison. So we try to sing in harmony without unison being established. And it's a mess. So even in a vocal, you know, when, when we talk uh, vocally, you can only have harmony where there's unison first. And I'm not saying that you have to sing the unison first. I'm saying a unison part has to be established, which represents the melody. If there's no melody of a song, I can't harmonize with it. There has to be a melody in order to add harmony to it. So there has to be unison in order for the diversity of who we are in Christ to show forth. We've got to first be unified. And so honoring the point says, whoever the leader is, if they say this is what God is calling for, I'm lining up right with it because there's a commanded blessing right there. There God commands the blessing. Unity is so important to, to God, to Jesus Christ, that even though we call, you know, our father who art in heaven, the, the, the Jesus prayer, the model prayer, it really is, Jesus prayer is John 17 where he's saying, God, that they might be one, like you and me are one. Make them one, Father God, make them one. Unity is so important to God. It is so important to God. And it's gotta be important to us. It should be important to us. See, I can't, the, my first time leading worship at the building we're at now, Petra, the platform is elevated. And I remember God saying, that's a physical reality, but it makes a spiritual point. Before you go up, make sure that that mindset has to go up. That mindset has to ascend. Make sure you recognize you're going up to a higher place. You're going up to lead. Don't walk up there with the foolishness in your heart. He said, you may not be able to guarantee that you're gonna sing every note right or play every note right, but what you can have is a pure heart. And so make sure whatever stuff you're holding in your heart, he said, don't be so bold as to roll up in my presence to lead people 
with that stuff in your heart, knowing it's in your heart, keeping it in your heart and just determine that you're going to have a problem with certain, certain people. See that stuff, we got to get it. Create within me a clean heart. Create within me a clean heart, God. I can't have animosity against other people. I can't let the sun go down on my anger because if you let the sun go down on your anger, night after night, it becomes wrath. It turns into something else. If you have an attitude with people and just let that stay, it doesn't just stay in the same form. It becomes bitterness. Stuff grows. It's like stuff in us that grows. And so God says, let me deal with your heart. Let me, as a worship leader, I feel accountable to make sure I'm asking God, create within me a clean heart. I don't want to have wrong motives. I don't want to have ill against people. And if I accept it from myself, it remains. Whatever you give permission to remains. Whatever you allow to live there remains. And so it's that God, I, you know, not, not that everybody's going to be the same um, closeness to, to people, even with Jesus. He, you know, had what, uh, 12 disciples out of the 12, there were three that he pulled closer and it didn't have to do with importance. It had to do with purpose and destiny, um, what they were called to do and called to be. And so it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be the same degree of closeness and you're going to tell everybody, you know, what's in your heart. God gives us certain people to bring closer, but you've got to make sure that your heart you don't have ill in your heart towards one another. That impacts what God releases as you gather. And if there is anything, I'm not saying that I know that there is, but I'm saying God has me saying this for a reason. If there is any ought that any of you have with any other, if you prejudged, um, you know, judgment and forgiveness, those are two areas where we, we set the measurement as to how God deals with us. We set the bar. So God says, the way you judge others, that's how I'm gonna judge you. And he says, the way you forgive others, that's how I forgive you. So even when we pray in Matthew six, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we're saying, God, forgive me like I forgive other people. And the debt means anything that is owed or anything that you think is owed. So it's saying, God, you know, I forgive those that I know have wronged me and I'm forgiving those that I think might have wronged me, even if I'm off about it, but I choose to forgive them, God, recognizing that I'm asking you to forgive my debts like I forgive the debts of others. And so when I, when I got that revelation, it's like, God, whatever hook I had people on, I'm taking everybody off the hook and I'm throwing the hook away so that with the next person that offends me, I don't even have a hook to put them on. I don't even have the hook. Cause for a while I let them off, but I kept the hook in my back pocket just in case the next, you know, for the next person that offended me. But offense, the word in itself means a snare, snare, S-N-A-R-E. It's a snare, it's a trap, the word offense. And when you hold on to offense, it's the image of a deer running through the forest, having a destination, and then they get caught up in a trap and can't reach their destination because they are ensnared. So offense is meant to keep you from 
your purpose and keep you from your destiny. So you just want to make sure that you forgive, not because um, whatever the people did or whatever, whatever the person did, not because what they did was right. You know, it could be legitimately what they did was so wrong. But when I hold it in my heart, God asked me one time, Lisa, would you let cancer live in you? Would you give it permission? And I'm like, no. And he's like, would you let AIDS live in you? And I said, no. And he said, you wouldn't let the disease live in you? And I said, no. And he says, well, unforgiveness is a disease. Unforgiveness, um, offense, all of that is like a disease that you let it live in you. And if you allow it to live in you, it's doing more damage to you than it is to the person you're upset with. It's doing more damage to you. And he gave it, you know, that same day I happened to hear somebody make the statement, and it's a quote, that when you hold unforgiveness in your heart, it's like drinking poison, hoping that it kills the person that you're mad at, but it's damaging you. And so tonight, I just believe God is calling all of us to, um, every time I pray that, you know, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give me this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I always pause right there and just ask God, is there somebody I need to forgive today? Is there something I'm holding on to? And then I make the choice in that moment. I release them, God, I release them. And when I release them, when you release them, you're releasing them into God's hands. It's not that they go unpunished. It's not that they get, but it's that there's not, the poison is not living in you. The damage is not living in you. And whatever place of unforgiveness we get stuck at, we're there. We're just, it's like life just stops right there at that point. And even though we continue to exist, there's a part of life, there's a part of us inside that just gets stuck in that yesterday situation. And so tonight, if there's anybody you need to forgive, um, what's helpful is to remember how you have been forgiven. What's helpful is to remember what you have been forgiven of. It makes it easier to forgive other people. Again, God never asks us to give other people what he hasn't first given us. And he has given us abundant forgiveness. He has given us a forgiveness beyond what we can even, you know, we can't even list how much he's forgiven us for. So he says, just, you know, to help us forgive others, just be mindful and remind ourselves of how much he has forgiven us. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why God had me go in that place, but uh, most definitely just take that moment tonight and ask God to show you if there's anybody you need to forgive. Uh, God, and, and I'm saying that because when I became an elder, I remember Bishop saying to me, Lisa, um, ask God to, to search your heart and um, the things that you have against other elders, uh, you need to let God deal with that. And in my mind, I had nothing against the elders, absolutely nothing. And I wasn't mom of the house then, I was worship leader and they had been elders, you know, in the beginning of Petra. And if you had asked me, there was nothing I had against them. And so I came back, I told him, no, you know, there's nothing. And he said, yeah, there's something there. And I was like, no, there's not. And so what I was doing was asking God to show me in my prayer time, but I was telling God there's nothing there. So I was saying, God, I don't have any problem with them. Show me if I do. 
well, that's what was blocking me from being able to see that there was something there. I was telling God that there wasn't instead of going to God and saying, show me. And if my, my authority says, yes, there is something there, there's something there. So when I went to God and said, there's something there, I don't know what it is, but show me God, he showed me. And it really was something there. And what Bishop said was, God always gives you the opportunity to sow, S-O-W, to sow for where you're going. And so whatever, when you look at your authority and don't limit it to tit for tat, you could have an authority that's a pastor, but you could be a supervisor on the job. However you respond to your authority, that comes back to you. And so when I realized that principle, it's like, okay, God, if you're gonna make me an authority one day and put me in a leadership role, you're giving me the opportunity to sow seed to the leaders that are in my life now. So let me sow what I wanna get back. And if I sow judgment, I'm guaranteeing I'm getting judgment back. And remember the harvest that you get back, the harvest is always greater than the seed. It's always gonna be more. The harvest is always greater than the seed. So it simplified life for me. Let me sow what I wanna get back. Because whatever I sow, what I get back is gonna be greater. Whatever I sow is, is gonna be greater. And so remember, whether it's if Pastor Felix or Pastor Katani says something that you don't really like, you're not feeling, honor the point. Remember, remember that what you sow into them, because they're spiritual father and mother, you'll get that back from your natural children. You know what I'm saying? And so the years that I spent judging my authority, I didn't, judging those that were in authority over me, I didn't realize that I'm gonna get that back from my natural children. You know, I'm, you, you get it back. And so, so what you wanna get, if you want, understanding if you want to be understood so understanding if you want to have be respected so respect and i'm not saying because like as a parent you don't want your children to listen to you only when you become absolutely perfect and flawless there's an honor and there's a respect that you deserve to be given because of the position that god has put you in and when you mess up and if you mistreat them, God will respond to you. But you want to make sure that you're sowing seeds of respect and seeds of kindness and seeds of love. You just want to, you determine the harvest that you get back and you determine it by what you sow. So what that kept me from once God gave me that revelation was instead of living life tit for tat, I'm gonna be nice to who's nice to me, me and you. It's like, I'm gonna live life as a wise woman, wise. And it's wise to learn how to sow whatever I wanna get back. And that's simplified life. Cause you can be nice to me, you can be mean to me, you can cuss me out or you can hug me. It doesn't matter, I'm gonna treat you with respect. And it doesn't mean that I'm gonna lay down and take everything because I'm a very firm person but it's learning how to respond to people God's way. Jesus, who was the same one that held the kids in his lap and kissed them, was the same one that told the scribes and the Pharisees, you, he, he told them, he's like, you, you strain at a gnat, 
you know, you, you, you strain at a camel, you swallow knots, you're like fake, you're hypocrites. You, I mean, he dealt firm with them. And he was the same one that went into the temple and turned everything out, threw over the tables. But he was being guided by God, even in terms of how he responded. So when he responded with gentleness, God was guiding him to do that. When he responded with firmness and when he went and turned the tables over, he wasn't out of control. He was still being guided by God. God said, go turn the table and he did it. So he wasn't a chump. When he stayed on the cross and they said, you know, if you're all that come down, He's like, I am not trying to impress people or not trying to, you know, make sure that people are uh, approving of me. He's like, God, what do you want me to do? Stay here, stay here. And he stayed. And so even with that, don't wait till you get into a rough situation to try to learn how to do God's will. Do it now. Start now with God. What do you want in this moment that I'm spending with you? What do you want? Because... The re one of the main reasons Jesus could stay on that cross was because Gethsemane happened, where he had surrendered his will, where he said, God, not my will. And he said, you know, my flesh is weak. I don't really want to do this. If there's another way, let me do it the other way. But at the end of it, so that was spirit and truth. That was worship, spirit and truth. The truth was, uh, if there's another way, let me go another way. But God, once God said that was the way, Jesus said, God, not my will, but your will, your will. I'm choosing to do your will. So he had already made the choice to do God's will before he got to Calvary. Gethsemane, there's always a Gethsemane before we get to the hard place. There's always a Gethsemane. And so learning to surrender your will in that place makes, it's like Gethsemane makes Calvary doable. <laughs> you know, Gethsemane makes Calvary bearable. You can bear the hard place if you have surrendered your will before you get to the hard place. It's hard. Imagine Jesus on the cross trying to make the choice to surrender his will, just trying to like, do I, do I want to? He settled that in Gethsemane. And so whatever you do tonight, I just sense God saying this issue of forgiveness, this issue of letting go of offenses, this issue of unity, unity and surrendering our will um, is, is important. And as God said, we are in a new place, RCF, you're in a new place. God is saying that in this new place, there is a new requirement. There is a new thing he desires to do. And in this new place, because it's a God moment in this new place to surrender your will and to forgive those that have wronged you and even those that you think may have wronged you to forgive and to refuse offense and to submit to God in that place and to submit to God's way and surrender your will. I believe God will heal in a moment what would have taken months or years otherwise. That there's something, you know, for some of you as parents um, that God is saying, you gotta forgive, you gotta let them off the hook. And God again will show you how he's forgiven you, how he has taken care of you. Um, even when you were wrong, he's still looking out for you. And he still has forgiven us for all of our sin and called us, knowing us and knowing everything about us. It's not like we've been tricking him. We haven't been fooling him. He knows everything about us and still calls us and still loves us and still forgives us. And it's like grace in to us 
So grace out to others. Forgiveness in, forgiveness out. Mercy in, mercy out. I mean, he deposits, he deposits it first. He deposits it first in us before he asks us to release it to others. And so even in this moment, I know um, it didn't go where I thought it was going to go tonight. I thought we were going to talk more about uh, corporate worship when we come together, but God said to go there. So um, the issue of unity, it is very important to God. So it's got to be very important to us. It should be very, very important to us. So look at the screen, look at the pictures, look at one another. And, you know, God says to do good to those, to do good to everybody that you can, but especially those that are of the household of faith, those that are in your spiritual family. Start there. There's always a starting place. Um, so look at one another. Think of the ones that are maybe not on this call, but that are, that are a part of the team um, and inclusive of not just the um, musical, you know, the singers and the musicians, but also the text, you know, just anybody else that's involved in this worship ministry and just consider, you know, are you, are you at one with them? Is there unison before you try to make harmony as a team? Um, or are we unified? Is there unity? Because it's important to God. And there, at that place of unity, there God commands, the commanded blessing. It's not just a blessing, it is the commanded blessing. And he says to the blessing, whenever they unify, oh, you got to go there. Whenever, you, whenever they're unified, blessing, you got to show up in their midst. You have to. You have to. There's not an option. And so unity is so critical to God. Um, and I don't know if this is the same thing. Where we just went with the forgiveness and the, you know, that was just God in the moment telling me to go there. So I did. But earlier today, God said, he reminded me of the scripture in First um, Corinthians 13 that says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I understood like a child and I thought like a child. So when I was a child, remember we started with this repentance, think differently, think differently. So when I was immature, I spoke like a child, I understood, I, I exercised my mind like a child, meaning like I would sit and think, okay, this is what they did to me wrong. And then you keep thinking about it. And did you ever notice the more you think about it, the worse you feel, even though it's not that it keeps happening, it's, it happened, but the more you think about it, it, it gets more, um, it's alive, it lives more and it gets stronger, it gains strength, the more you think about it. So you can think about it and be a little bit mad, keep thinking about it and be totally upset. And it's not like the same thing kept happening. It's that in your mind, you're exercising it. So when we're immature, we speak like a child, fight like a child. I exercise my mind like a child. And I, I spoke, understood, and thought like a child. But when I became, King James says, when I became a man, it's saying, but when I matured, when I became a spiritual adult, when I grew up in God, I put away childish things. And so God said to ask each one of us, including me, what do we need to put away? Just what do we need to put away? As worship leaders, what do we need to put away? That's not for you to answer to me. That's between you and God. And it's between me and God, because there's something I need to put away. But there is something that we have to put away. Because true worship, again, it always requires choice, faith, 
in that your choice will be re rewarded by God and sacrifice. And so in 2 Samuel 24, 24, David said, I don't want to offer God that which costs me nothing. There is a cost. And I don't want to offer God that which has cost me nothing. So there is something that is going to cost. So what is it that I need to lay down? What is it that I need to put away? It doesn't say when I was a child, I spoke, understood, and thought like a child. But when I became an adult, God took this away from me. It says, no, but when I became an adult, I put away childish things. So there's something that God wants to put away in each one of us. Um, I believe that that's it. I believe that that's it. I wanted to look at, make sure, um, 14. just remember that time with God. Remember unity. Um, lastly, I think I, I think that was it. Where are my notes? I have notes somewhere. I wanted to make sure. Ah, that was it. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to ask. And I cannot say how much this time has blessed me. When we started out, um, a couple of you made the statement about refreshing and just um, rehearing. And this has been refreshing for me. I needed to rehear some things and I needed to discover some new things. And that has happened in this time. You have blessed me, your attention, your focus, your hearts. God has allowed me to just feel your hearts and feel your love and feel your encouragement. And I thank you for that. I pray blessing upon you. And I am so excited about this new season uh, for restoration. I, I know that some are not on here and what we won't do is judge them. We'll leave it to the spiritual parents of the house and however God leads them to respond. But the truth is that for those that have connected, God really is well pleased, is smiling upon you. And there is a pleasure that you've given to God just by your yes and just by your connection and just by your diligence um, to, to be a part of this, God is well pleased through the tiredness and through the, you know, whether you get sleepy or whether it's like, okay, she's been talking for a while, God help me. You have been, you have connected. You have stayed and remained connected and you have pressed in. Yeah. And so there's a muscle that's been exercised that you may not feel it right now, but there is a muscle that has been exercised in you that is stronger than it was when we first started the four weeks ago. And mm -hmm. there is, there's, it's like there's a new you that has emerged. So don't let your soul tell you, no, it's just the same. Simply by the connection, simply by the faithfulness and the diligence, God has done something in all of us. And for that, we give him thanks. And for that, we give him praise. So you connected because of your relationship with God, but it has blessed me. And I want to say thank you. I thank you. I thank you, Pastor Felix. Thank you, Pastor Katani, for inviting me in. Thank you, RCF Worship Team, for inviting me in and opening yourself to me. I love you. I thank God for you. I really pray God's blessings over you. Yeah. And if there's anything you want to share, yeah. please do. Uh, I just, I thank God for you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Elisa. My goodness. Come on, show us some love. My goodness. This uh, has been, thank you. Thank you. It's been revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. I know some of you guys are blowing the chat up and that's very, very nice. But I want to take a moment, just a couple of minutes. 
for you guys just to open your mouth and express your gratitude as the Lord lays it on your heart to Sister Lisa, just so she can hear how you're feeling and get some feedback. So whatever the Lord lays on your heart, let's take a moment just to kind of uh, express our appreciation for her. So if you guys can just be a moment to do it, we won't be long, but just share whatever God has in your heart. Just go for it, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Elder Lisa. Um, very, very good class. You're very anointed of God to Thank do what you're doing, and I appreciate you. And out of this, it's just like we are never too saved to yeah. grow in God and to Amen. grow deeper in God. And um, as they were said before, it's refreshing. Yeah. Um, you were called and appointed for this time, and I appreciate you. I love you. Nice meeting you. Thank you. Jackie, thank you. Yeah, my spirit is leaping. Thank you. Thank you. I felt that hit me deep. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. And it's so great meeting you. This is not going to be the last time. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, you were saying that uh, what she said hit your heart. I got to say, like, everything you be saying be hitting. Like, hitting, hitting, hitting. Wow. Like, in a bunch of the things that God like brought me to my knees about this past holiday season and like promised me and told me like it was right along with what you've been saying it was that like about a year ago he was like he put on my heart that I felt so blessed that I've been able to reach so many kids because I'm a music teacher you know oh, right. for, for God but but without like even being intentional about it like God just blessed in spite of me praying intentionally for it. and this year this this past like several months God told me yeah that was all right that was good I did that for you but that's not okay now that I okay. revealed that to you now you got to be intentional now you got to pray over everything and now I'm gonna bless you and that's what he's done like through this remote learning uh, and he's taking uh, my teaching to like a whole other level just because of that and and wow. literally like I said everything you've been saying just been hitting like it was like it was like uh, a manual like an instruction manual of all the things that God told me in this past season then you laid out like how I need to do it mm. I'm telling you I'm wow. telling you God 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 yeah God did this thing so praise God for you thank you Lord thank you father wow thank you Liza for that wow 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 Amen. thank you Pastor Lisa I just want to say when you hear a word, you're now accountable for the word. And accountability means you can't act like you don't know anymore. And you have to do something. Yeah. So I personally want to say to all of the members, to Pastor and Pastor Kay, please forgive me because I don't want anything in my heart that will hinder me. God's been really dealing with me personally, mm. saying, I miss my time with you, the moments together. Mm. We need those times. I don't want to be busy doing kingdom work, yeah. and I'm not fellowshipping with the Father, yeah. nor am I taking time to fellowship with my co-workers in the ministry. Yeah. So we have accountability tonight. Thank you for being real and sharing the word. I think it's so important. It's so outside of just singing. Yeah. I, I, I want to thank Pastor Felix because mm -hmm. since I've been at the church, mm -hmm. 
He has inspired me to study mm. like never before. Mm. Excuse me. Okay. Right. I know I tell him that all the time, but I'm really serious about it. Mm. You can't be saved this long a time and not change by the word. Yes. Yeah. You can't keep singing and not let your singing affect what you're doing. It means nothing to get up there and have a show and do all the most beautiful harmonies and runs and all the music. None of that means anything to me if my heart is not right and I'm not doing it unto the Lord. Yes. Can't say you love and show absolutely no sign of it. So it's important if we're going to be one and if we're going to be unified, we have to make sure that we speak and we say what we feel and that we show the love and it's demonstrated regularly. And I need to do that. I'm not saying that for anybody. I'm saying for myself, but it has to be consistent among all the members. So I do want to ask all of you to forgive me. And I don't even want to say if I offended you, because I don't believe in that if. You know in your heart what's going on, because we got accountability now. Yeah. Amen. Okay, so I just want to thank mm -hmm. Pastor Felix and Pastor Kay mm -hmm. for their continual support of me and always reaching out, even though I mm -hmm. rarely take the bite. But that's my own thing, and I know that God is dealing with my heart. So Anyway, I'm sorry for being long-winded, but thank you all for listening. God bless you. Bless you. God bless you for that. I've, I've got to say to what you just said, that was major. Um, and God said to make clear to us, there's a difference between responsibility and accountability. Responsibility deals more with handling your business, um, taking care of what you need to take care of. But accountability has more to do with it has more to do with considering how your choices and your actions impact other people. So responsibility means I'm gonna handle my business and like be intentional and do what I need to do. Accountability goes further into considering how do my choices and my actions impact other people. And so, yeah, we are, we are accountable. How do our choices, how do what we do um, and how we do what we do, how does it impact other people? And it's not just, I'll give a hypothetical, it's not just if one of you was intentionally mean to the other one and rude to the other one, when you both get up and sing together as worship leaders, it's impacting the whole family. Yeah. Not just the team, because you're accountable. So how you deal with each other impacts those that you cover and it impacts those that you lead. And so beyond responsibility, you want to make sure that you're responsible and accountable and that you're considering, okay, if I'm holding a grudge against that one, it's impacting all of these because what's in my heart, again, that's going to be, I'm, I'm a door. And so I give permission to what can attack my family by what I hold in my heart. Yeah. Amen. Thank you guys. Amen. Awesome. We got space for one more. Anybody else who just want to share with Emily? Can I jump? Or no, Tiffany, Tiffany, no, you can. We'll take both of y'all. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not much of a talker, so you know I'll be quick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Elder Lisa, I just want to thank you for taking out your time to pour into us. Um, I appreciate you for your um for your vulnerability and showing us like your um your journey of how you uh 
what I'm trying to say, of how you learned how to uh, hear from God. Because I've been dealing with that personally when I feel like I don't hear from God, when I'm, you know, thinking that he's leading me this way, but, you know, I feel like it's, you know, not confirmed or whatever. So I just appreciate that. But I do have a lot of self-condemnation in that area sometimes. Um, but I wanted to tell the team, um, as your former leader, I just wanted to apologize mostly to the, the older team um, for not, during this pandemic time, not reaching out like I probably should have and not making sure that you guys all feel engaged um, since we've had this transition to the new leadership and with the new people coming in. So I just want to apologize to all of you if you felt a certain way about me um, not reaching out as much as I did, as I should have. So I just want to tell you guys, I'm sorry for that. I thank you, Tracy, for, your, um, for being uh, open and expressing your thoughts and feelings about all that too. So um, I love y'all and that's it. Yeah, Tiffany, that's not it yet. Thank you for what you just shared. So powerful. As you were speaking, I just heard God say, this is that season where he's convincing you of who you are in him. And he's going to do something as it relates to you and his relationship where he's um, affirming who you are, your sense of value, your sense of worth. He's seeking to, to convince you of who he made you to be and who you are. And he says that a lot of the hurt that you've gone through, a lot of the ways that you felt in the past, um, he allowed only because there was something that was um, looking to people for what God wanted to give to you because he wants you to know how valuable, how valuable you are. And he says, not yet. You don't know it yet, but the not yet says you're getting ready to. He says that even as it relates to your speaking, as it relates to your confidence, um, don't cast away your confidence because he says literally there's something he's getting ready to do to take you to another level of confidence in him. And he says that there has been, um, and he's not saying it like it's a negative. He's saying you're right on time for this season. Now you're right on time for him to build your confidence. You're right on time for him to, teach you to never fall into self-condemnation again. And he says, he's gonna show you that and he doesn't want you to help the enemy try to beat you down. And he says, you have helped the enemy beat yourself down. And from this point on, this moment on, God says, he's gonna teach you how to do concerning yourself, how to do what God does towards you, which is encourage you. He said, he's gonna teach you how to treat yourself like he treats you. He's gonna teach you how to encourage yourself. He's gonna teach you how to speak words that build you up. And he says, your heart is pure. And so you're not going to err on the side of pride because that's not who you are. But he says, this issue of confidence, you have a heart that is humble, but in terms of the way you see yourself, the perspective, the self-perspective, God says he's getting ready to show you who you are through his eyes through his eyes, through his eyes. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice in that. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ken, you have a smile that lights up the world. <laughs> Sorry if I can get it off of mute. Uh, Elder Clay, thank you so much. Um, two things that really stood out to me from the entire um, series that we had is that um, we have to be mindful how we present ourselves to God. Um, yeah. I shared that with my team because it was so powerful. And so 
Um, I've been thinking just in every walk of life, how do I present myself um, to God professionally, everything? How do we present ourselves? And so that really um, hit my heart. But then also the other part that hit my heart from tonight was uh, to make sure to give God today's yes. Um, yeah. Yesterday's yes isn't good enough, but a total yes, a co complete yes to God. And, and so that renews every day, morning by morning. That's right. And so, um, man, I, I'm so full and I'm so grateful. And I, I'm praying that Pastor and Lady Kay bring you to Denver soon so that we can meet you in person. And um, I mean, you've just been such a blessing. And um, I kind of want to um, mirror Tiffany and uh, Sister Tracy in saying, um, you know, in coming into the church, if I've offended anybody, I know I've offended people um <laughs> if, I, if i've hurt anybody if i've um said anything that caused any pain or um any isolation or if, if i've done anything that made you feel any kind of way other than blessed and and full of the holy ghost um I, forgive me i'm sorry it was never my intention um i absolutely love this team i love this ministry and uh, i want to see god keep on growing us and keep on um infusing us with this Holy Ghost. And the only way to do that is by being unified. And so um, I'm excited, man. Like, I, I can't wait until we, we can get together again and love on each other and uh, worship for real and worship yeah. um, and worship in, in, a, in a whole new level um, mm -hmm. under God. So I love each and every one of y'all. And hey, text me, let me know. Let's talk, let's get coffee, whatever we can do um, <laughs> to make it right. But thank you, Elder Clay, thank you, Pastor and Lady Kay, for blessing us with this. And really, I, I, I took down notes upon notes upon notes. I don't wrote sermons. I mean, I didn't did a lot. So thank you for everything. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Wow, thank you for that, man. Touch me deep. Touch me deep. You touch my spirit. Wow, the word of the Lord is in you too. It really is. Wow, the word of the Lord. Did you teach? Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah, preached yeah. the other night, and now there's no going back for him. But he done yeah. came out. He came okay. out. So we done see. Yeah, because his teaching, his preaching, there's a word gifting that is very powerful wow. in you, and it's very real. It's not religion. And so I thank God that your relationship with God is real. When you minister the word, I just um, am praying that God keeps you from trying to conform to an old model and mm -hmm. that literally the freshness of God and who he has made you to be flows through you in such a real way because there's something that is very compelling about how real your relationship is with God. And so when you teach and when you preach, that realness is, mm -hmm. is a part of what God is going to use to open hearts. And there are seasoned Pre preachers, so to speak, or teachers that won't be able to open hearts like you will because of the realness. There's a realness. It's just real. It's authentic. And so that authenticity, it's a part of who God made you to be and how he made you to be. And so I thank God um, that he has literally, it's real. It's the real deal. It's real. You and him are real. And even as you go through this process with the ups and downs and the ins and outs and all that stuff, what's there is real. And the process is real and you will continue. And so I look forward to meeting you in person, to meeting you all in person, getting great big hugs because I'm just believing when we meet each other, we're going to be able to hug and all that kind of stuff. And the COVID is going to be gone. But thank you for what you just shared. Thank you. You all, everybody on this call, I'm looking at the gifts. And it's like, you know, the word says that there, God has put a treasure in earthen vessels. And that means he put treasure inside of these earth made bodies. There's treasure in you. 
And growing up, my dad used to always tell me, everybody that you meet, there's going to be a part of God in them because he made them. And he said, some people is going to be easy to see the God in them. And some people, it's going to be hard to even know that God even made them by how they act. And he said, but I want you to always look for the God in others because it's there. And he said, I'm not even telling you that you got to find it. But if you're the kind of person who looks for it, look for the best, look for the best in others. It was the same principle as God saying, if you just seek me, I'll reward you. There's something to be said for looking for the best in others. Look for the best in each other. Look for the best. And even though you might have had history with other people, look for the best because the, the strength is not coming from you seeing the best. It's coming simply from you being the kind of person that looks for it. There's a blessing that comes with that. And some you'll see, some you won't, but just be the kind of person that looks. Cassandra, you know? she wanted to share. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to prolong things, but I just wanted to say, you know, um, that God is always on time. We know he's yeah. always on time because as a team, we were broken. Yeah. We were broken and I thank God for that he's able to pick up the pieces and put them back together. And I just look forward to our spirits being um, joined together and being erect and being able to get up there and minister together. And so, you know, if I've offended anyone, I wanted to apologize. I want to, well, I've offended somebody. So I apologize and I, you know, praise is what I do. And so I am really looking forward to, you know, once COVID, stuff yeah. is uh, yeah. a little better being able to come back and um and um worship and get to know people um better and allow you to get to know me so i, I just thank god for his faithfulness he's so yeah. faithful he knows what we need and when we need it and elder lisa thank you you're a blessing and he sent thank you on time so thank you well thank you thank you and i'm saying you're welcome because it's the polite thing to do but i really i, I, I thank you i don't deserve any Thanks. I mean, I, I hear you all saying thank you. So I'm saying you're welcome. But honestly, I've been just as blessed as you all have been, if not more so. And of course, all thanks to God. But no, I can't take any credit for this. That's what I meant. I can't take credit because I just thank you all for allowing me the grace and the space to just go with God. Because today went totally different than I thought it would. Every week has. Um, but you all have just remained and you have been encouraging in your spirits and you have received. And I thank you for that. And I have received. And when you were talking, a few quick things. One is that God said from this moment on, you are one team. You're not the old ones and the new ones. or the And I don't even know what has happened with that. But I just hear God saying, you're one. You're one in him. And so whatever that means to you all or however that gets applied, it's one, <laughs> you're one. Um, and two, the love and the letting go of the offense and the asking for the forgiveness from others, God says, well received. He wants you to know that the love will be tested. So recognize the test when it comes. Because it doesn't mean like now everything's going to be fine and we're never going to work each other's nerve. And all of that's still going to come, but it's a test. And you've already made the choice to love and the choice to forgive and the choice to not hold on to offense. And so you have to uh, re-choose your choice with each day. It's like that fresh yes, that if you know you chose to forgive, the next time that person offends you, remember, I chose to forgive. I don't even have a hook to put them on. So settle what needs to be settled and 
you know, do everything in love, of course, but I do hear God saying that honestly, you're one, that your love will be tested. And this is not necessarily for the team. This is for those that are struggling with how things are going politically and all that kind of stuff. God said there will come a season where Psalm 73 is going to mean a lot to you. And this point that there were things happening. It was a person, the writer was saying, here I am trying to live right. And I'm seeing all these people that ain't even trying to live right. They seem like they're prospering. They seem like they're doing okay. And they seem like they're getting away with it. And he says, all of this was too painful and it was working my nerves. And he goes on to say, it was so painful for me because I was tripping out at God, how can you let all this stuff, how can you let them prosper? And here I am struggling and I'm trying to live right. But there's a verse in there that says, all this was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. Yeah. And there God gave me revelation. He changed my perspective and he allowed me to see that they were in a slippery place. God has set them in a slippery place. And it's like running real fast because you think the ground is dry, not knowing you get ready to hit an ice spot and come crashing down real hard and real fast. And so God says not to worry about them. And then the last verse says, with all that happening, all I know is that it's good for me to draw near yeah. to God. Yeah. And so I just want you to keep that in your spirit. I think it's for days to come. I don't know that it's for right now, but yeah. I have to read that a lot these days that, you know, okay, God, I don't understand all of this, but when I go into the sanctuary of God saying in his presence, he yeah. changes my perspective and he allows me to look at it in a way where I'm not depressed every day. I'm actually energized every day with this craziness going on around me. Inside, there's more life. But it's because of God's perspective when he shares his perspective with us. So for all of us, it's good for us to just draw nearer to God. And in that place, he'll give you a perspective that allows you to have life on the inside and then be able to speak life to those around you.